You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter. And I have a kind of continue on the theme of our last show. But before I do, let me make just a, a quick comment on the recent presidential election. And that is, anyone who's denying that there was vote fraud is willfully blind, willfully ignorant. Uh, you know, affidavits are ev- evidence, and the Trump team has 500 affidavits plus other indications, uh, uh, provable indications of, of vote fraud. So this idea that there's no evidence is baloney. The, the, uh, and it's just a lie. It's just a complete, absolute lie. And it shows you how corrupt the country has become, how corrupt the ma- mainstream media is. Now, is there enough, was there enough fraud to turn the election? That's another question. Was there fraud? Of course. Democrats stole the Senate race in Louisiana many years ago from Woody Jenkins. They stole the governorship in Washington State years ago uh, from the Republican candidate, Russo. They stole the Senate race in uh, in, in, in Minnesota from uh, Norm, Norm Coleman putting Al Franken in, in, the, in the Senate for a while. Uh, they stole a congressional seat in Indiana, McIntyre, many years ago. So the point is, it was, and uh, by the way, a lot of people think that they stole the presidential election in 1960, that in fact uh, Nixon carried Illinois, and they stole it, the Daily Machine stole it for, uh, for Kennedy, and of course that was very provable, but... That wouldn't have been enough. If they had switched uh, Illinois, Nixon still loses. So the real question was Texas. Did Lyndon Johnson, who was Kennedy's running mate, as you may recall, uh, did Lyndon Johnson arrange for the steal of Texas? And there are many people who thought that he did. And there were meetings that were held, uh, chaired by Tom Dewey, former uh, governor of New York and uh, twice Republican president, he's actually uh, district attorney in here too, uh, twice presidential uh, candidate for the Republican Party, uh, and the consensus was, yes, according to people who were there, Kennedy had stolen it, Johnson had stolen it for Kennedy, but they couldn't prove it. And they couldn't prove Texas had it was stolen, so they backed off. And so now we have the same situation. And is there evidence that maybe the election was stolen from Trump? Sure, maybe it was. But let's assume for that, that, that there was enough fraud committed to switch the election. And I'm not saying there was. I'm just saying let's make that assumption. The question is, can you prove it? My view is you cannot. That's not provable. There's too much cover-up. There's too many people involved uh, to allow this out. You say, well, all those people, they're going to spill the beans. Yes, spilling the beans is one thing. Proving <laughs> what's in the beans is another one. They, 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 you know, there are all sorts of rumors about switching votes and what have you, but you've got to demonstrate it. Uh, just, just because people say it was done will not be enough uh, <clears throat> to, for, for intervention. And then who's going to intervene? The states? Well, the states that uh, are most at uh, issue, uh, with one exception, I'm talking about Pennsylvania and I'm talking about Michigan and Wisconsin, are all uh, governorships in the hands of the Democrats. The election law machinery is in the hands of the Democrats. Um, Even when they're county by county, the big counties are in the hands of the Democrats. So they're not going to uh, uh, cooperate with uh, any proof. So I think that we need to just say, well, uh, they stole it. 
So we need to figure out how to prevent him from stealing in the future, assuming we can keep the Senate uh, with the Georgia runoffs, and go from here. The good news is that 2021 is going to be a disastrous year in this country. And uh, obviously, if Trump were running, you know, were leading the country, we would have uh, a much better chance of getting through it without a disaster. But it won't be uh, Trump running the country. And so we can rely on the Biden administration to turn a really bad situation into a catastrophe. Um, as was pointed out, the Obama uh, recovery from the Great Recession was the slowest in American history from a recession or depression other than the uh, Great Depression. And if you go back to the Great Depression, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Anna D. Shellis, the uh, great economist, she's written a book analyzing what happened, and her conclusion was that Franklin Roosevelt's policies of that administration kept us in the Depression for six extra years, that we would have been out of it in a couple of years if actually if Franklin Roosevelt did nothing instead of regula- regulations, anti-competitive uh, rules and regulations, co- cooperation with big unions and big business, uh, and uh, that caused n- harm to ordinary Americans big time, just as the, Ob- the slow recovery from Obama. You know, you need to look it up. The, the wealth and income gap increased during the eight years of the Obama administration. There's, look it up. You just have to go to the Internet and get little, they have all sorts of uh, 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 information about uh, what happened to wealth, what happened to uh, income inequality, uh, and it uh, increased all the Obama administration. In fact, uh, that was reversed during the Trump administration. But, you know, what the heck, the mainstream media uh, has no interest in telling the truth uh, about what the achievements of Trump. I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of his achievements will go by the wayside as the Biden administration blunders, makes one blunder after another, including getting back in the uh, deal with Iran. Anyway, just uh, that little commentary was just uh, where I think we stand. But I want to go back to the theme, and the theme that I had uh, 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 talked about uh, last year, and uh, last year, last week, and that's about the Democratic Party and its use and abuse of black American citizens. The black American community has been used and abused by the Democrats for purposes of power. And I'm just talking about slavery, the party of slavery. I want to start with the the uh, the uh, post Civil War. Uh, but before I do, let me talk a little bit about the founder of the modern Democratic Party, who's Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson was elected president in 1828. And remember that the Democrats for years had Jefferson Jackson Day dinners. That was the big thing. You know, the, the Democratic age ushered in by Andrew Jackson. Of course, Andrew Jackson uh, did not get the presidency in 1824. John Quincy Adams did. By the way, John Quincy Adams was probably the smartest president we ever had in terms of the largest measure IQ. Spoke five languages, was a brilliant person, and probably even more intelligent than Jefferson if possible. But certainly those two stand at the top, and maybe Lincoln's with them. But uh, John Quincy Adams may stand alone in terms of the, the single most intelligent. And we're not 
saying that Jefferson and Lincoln and Clinton and, and, and Obama weren't didn't have high IQs if you measured that IQs. Obviously, they made a lot of foolish mistakes, all of them, but uh, John Quincy Adams was top. And, and I was talking to a, a legal historian uh, about a year ago, and I said to him, I thought America made a wrong turn in, in electing Andrew Jackson to the presidency and, and, uh, and, and defeating John Quincy Adams. And he, of course, he agreed with me. He said, yeah, you really study what, what went on. But anyway, he's the modern founder, Andrew Jackson, modern founder of the Democratic Party. And what else was he known for? He was owned slaves, and he treated them viciously. Not only that, he was he traded in slaves. He made a lot of money in uh, flipping slave ownership, buy low, sell high. And he had a partner in this thing, and he did that for years. And it caused some of a scandal in the North, uh, which had turned, you know, largely anti-slavery by that time. But anyway, it didn't, didn't prevent him from being elected president twice. But he was a notorious slave trader. And I mean notorious. There's a lot of publicity about that, and you can look that up if you don't believe me. Just plug in the Internet and say, President Andrew Jackson and the slave trade. And, uh, you know, uh, so let's go back now to, to the uh, post-Civil War area, era, Jim Crow. Ulysses S. Grant, when he was president, destroyed the Ku Klux Klan. He sent the troops, federal troops, down at when the Ku Klux Klan was first started and started to terrorize, not only terrorize black citizens, but terrorize white Republicans. And people don't realize that the Ku Klux Klan, yeah, they lynched blacks, they also lynched whites. Uh, because they were Republicans and because they supported uh, black uh, voting and what have you. And this was very bad. There's a threat. To, what was the threat to the Democratic Party? Black voting Republican. They, how do they stop blacks from voting Republican? Intimidation, lynch, by lynching, by threats, by burning down uh, black churches. They were determined, the Democrats, who, who were the Ku Klux Klan uh, of the South, were determined to prevent blacks from voting. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant, what did he do? He went, send the troops, destroy the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, well, now, just exactly, he's Republican, right? Republican. Okay. The Ku Klux Klan got a new lease on life when Woodrow Wilson, he inspired the rise of the Ku Klux Klan again by what I mentioned last week, showing Birth of a Nation in the White House, writing about the Confederacy in glowing terms. And Woodrow Wilson was, what party was he? Democrat, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. And so he inspired the, 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 the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan. And why not? Those blacks down there, black Americans, were voting for Republicans. We had to stop that. We had to stop that. And that's, that was the key. So then what happens? Along comes the Great Depression. And obviously, uh, thanks to Franklin Roosevelt and his policies, uh, it, it, the Great Depression actually we, uh, uh, deepened initially. And, but this, of course, caused a great migration of black Americans from the South to the North. 
well, this was a, uh, a threat. I mean, these big city Democrat machines, which had been based to a large extent on immigration, the Italian-Americans coming Jewish, Italians, immigrants, Jewish immigrants, and Irish immigrants, and they, uh, you know, the, the, the Democratic machines, they would meet them, in a sense, meet them at the boat uh, and uh, try to find them jobs, give them a little food and in exchange for political loyalty so that these uh, machines could uh, you know, collect their bribes and, uh, and, and, and line their pockets uh, by, by selling us services, by, by uh, uh, selling the access to, to uh, contracts by, by businessmen and what have you. Uh, so anyway, uh, all of a sudden we have these uh, b- black American citizens coming north. And the fear, of course, being that they would vote Republican. So the machines, whether it's Tammany Hall in New York or the Pendergrass machine at Kansas City, at the Daily's early daily machine or processor in, in Chicago, and uh, to the daily machine, but that was the how it matured. Detroit, what have you, they said, well, we got to treat them as if we treat other immigrants. Uh, and we've got to show them we're their friends in exchange for their votes. So we'll find them a place to live, uh, pretty places, but that's okay. It's better than nothing. And we'll give them some uh, uh, unskilled jobs. Remember that, that at this time we have the rise of the labor unions, AFL, uh, excuse me, the AFL. Samuel Gompers, and he, of course, believed that blacks could not do skilled labor, and he eliminated blacks from any skilled labor. Look at the history of the early history of AFL, AFL in Washington, D.C., where uh, he, uh, Gompers, uh, are, we, are we out of break? Going to one. Is, is this break time, David? Yep. Okay. I'll continue after the break. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655-8055. 
hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving and a very Merry Christmas. I'm your host, Dr. Hal. Every week we come to you with the information that you need so that you will be prepared to advocate for your family and for yourselves when it comes to your health care. God forbid we get Ossoff and Warnock in the Senate, and the left gets what they want, which is a majority in Congress and the White House. First of all, health care will be more expensive. There initially will be a public option. The government will run it. They will be initially very inexpensive, and it will drive commercial payers out of the health care market. Then the choices will disappear. The only insurer out there will be the federal government, and that's when we get a single payer. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino, back with Do Facts Matter. And I'm talking about the facts that illustrate how the Democratic Party, in order to achieve and maintain power, has used and abused the American black community, not only as the party of slavery and the party of Jim Crow, but since that time, too. In the, as a party of slavery and Jim Crow, of course, uh, blacks were, permitted, were, were prohibited from voting, either legally or by intimidation and terror. Uh, now we're up to the Depression, and blacks are moving into the big cities, and the big Democratic machines, which have been built upon the votes of immigrants, Italian, Italian immigrants, Jewish immigrants, uh, initially Irish immigrants, uh, now ha- face the prospect of having a lot of Republican voters coming to the big cities looking for jobs. So they got on the stick and decided that they would welcome, in their own way, the new new black uh, inhabitants of the cities who are looking for jobs as potential voters. After all, they needed to maintain power. These Democrat machines need to maintain the power, deliver the votes, so they could have access to bribes and and, uh, and the graft that was going on. And so, um, they, you know, of course, it was not acceptable to, to get blacks into, into uh, you know, uh, skilled labor. I mean, Sam Blagompers made that plain in the FLCIO, and, of course, I, he was allied with the Democratic Party. So, um, you know, Maintenance work, editorial work, Pullman, uh, uh, you know, railroad cars, uh, all that kind of unskilled uh, labor was considered suitable for, for, for the, uh, black American citizens by the Democratic Party. And, uh, but it was very important to make sure that you, you, you encourage dependency. We are your friends. We are, we, you can, uh, uh, we'll get you a job as a janitor. We'll we'll get your son out of jail for vandalism. We'll go tell the judge and let him go with a you know slap on the wrist or what have you. And all this stuff uh, worked. Uh, the vote started to shift blacks towards the towards the Democrats. Of course, meanwhile, it was very important uh, to keep them dependent and keep them concentrated because now we had the the Italians uh, moving into the suburbs. The Irish had. Led the way, 
And now the Jews are starting to move out of the city, out of the concentrated neighborhoods where they could be controlled, their voting could be controlled. So we had to keep the blocks there. Well, one way they did it, and this was the Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration, redlining. Yes, indeed, redlining was a democratic policy initiated by Franklin Roosevelt administration, and that prevented the inner cities and the cities from the banks from giving loans and, and, and financing. So, so instead of the cities turned uh, renovating, instead of, instead of middle-class blacks and whites staying there, they went elsewhere because they couldn't get loans. They couldn't get renovation loans. They couldn't get, well, later on, they couldn't get guaranteed loans by the Veterans Administration after they were served in the war, World War II. So they moved out. They went elsewhere. Meanwhile, redlining and, and discrimination against blacks, even those who were financially successful despite the barriers put in their way, uh, could not get loans, could not get financed for houses, uh, and, and, uh, because banks would not loan the money. And yes, that's right. And this was... And if you don't believe me that redlining began with the Democrats, look it up. Put a redlining in the Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration. Go to the Internet. It's wonderful. The Internet has lots of information that people don't access. If they would access the information, they would find out a lot of things that maybe they don't want to know um, or don't want to know because uh, they're committed to uh, power for power's sake or power for, for the sake of their new utopia. And only the Democrats promise utopia. Republicans, too realistic for that. And then, of course, then what happens? Then what happens, we have the Eisenhower. Now, the, the military was, into, uh, was uh, segregated in World War II. Uh, Truman, to his credit, signed an executive order integrating the military, but it wasn't done until Eisenhower enforced that. So Eisenhower really in, 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 was responsible for the initial integration of the military. And, and also, of course, he signed the 1957 Civil Rights Act, and he also sent the troops down to Little Rock to protect uh, black students trying to get into a high school there uh, from uh, the, Democra uh, the Democratic governor, Davis of Arkansas. Yes, another Democrat. Um, and Eisenhower... So, Obviously, Eisenhower has uh, uh, believed in, in, the, in uh, that all Americans should have the same rights, just like the Constitution says, uh, but the Democrats were not too happy about that, Southern Democrats, and they certainly were worried about the fact that some blacks would still vote Republican. After all, Civil Rights Act, 57, the troops to Little Rock, the integration of the military, Hmm, how do we prevent the blacks from, black American citizens, from losing their dependency? Well, we come up with a great scheme called the War on Poverty. Now, many people who supported the War on Poverty did so out of good intentions. I mean, a typical liberal is a bleeding heart, and anything that makes him feel good... It must be okay. And, and, and typical liberal has no interest in the, no real interest in, in uh, how 
his feel-good policies really affect people. I mean, the fact that the war and poverty policies disastrous uh, uh, results on, on on the people it was so it was supposed to to benefit has not penetrated the liberal mind. It never will. I mean, you know, if you why would we, we want to feel good? Aid for dependent children. Oh, what could be sound better than aid for dependent children? We're going to prevent all these children from starving. Well, they weren't starving when aid for dependent children uh, was uh, uh, promulgated. And, uh, in fact, they were being taken care of by their parents. But the war in poverty did one thing. It really paid families to break up. It, 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 instead of men being responsible for their children, along with the mothers, men working and being responsible, men were relieved of responsibility, and men were replaced by the government. You didn't need a man in the house. In fact, a man in the house meant you didn't get government subsidies. That you weren't eligible for for uh, uh, cash and and various other uh, housing subsidies and what have you. Remember that since the war in poverty, the U.S. has spent something like twenty three trillion dollars on welfare programs. And what we got? Let's see. Recently, we got a lot of riots. Well, that was Antifa, really. Those are white kids that probably have trust accounts financed by uh, various billionaires, indirectly or directly. But looting, we got lots of looting, because we have lots of young males who grew up without fathers, without without going to church, and without respect for law enforcement. And if they could get away with things, they did. And this is not unusual. There's lots of sociological evidence, a lot of te- uh, studies that show that... Uh, that uh, Males brought up in homes without fathers are more likely to engage in criminal activity, less likely to succeed in school, less likely to succeed in life. None of that makes any difference. Uh, Not to the left. The left has other agendas, and that agenda, of course, is power and getting power. So what what do we do? They come up with, with war and poverty. You have to know that there are people who knew exactly what they were doing, exactly what it was designed to do is to keep the lower-income families, which were largely black, dependent on the government, dependent on the government party, and dependent uh, on the largesse of uh, white politicians uh, who control uh, control the political parties. After all, the blacks are 13% of the country, so obviously they they can't control any political party, but their vote is crucial to them. Democrats winning. So what? Uh, so, so, despite the evidence to the contrary, the liberals support some of these welfare programs. Most of them. Daniel Patrick Moynihan wrote about how the war in poverty helped destroy the black family structure. You can read about it. The Daniel Patrick Moynihan's article. It's on the internet now. It was published in a magazine called The Public Interest. Just look it up. And it's now on. You can find it on the Internet, among other things. I mean, after all, what did uh, Malcolm X say? Uh, you know, when he was starting to wake up to what was going on, he said the uh, the biggest enemy of the Negro is the white liberal. Yes, and he was certainly right about that. And 
read all the nice things he said or not so nice things he said about uh, white liberals and the feeling that, oh, they need to take care of our poor little black children, you know, after all, blacks are such childs, you know, they're infant. So the infantilization of the black community was very important in terms, in terms of controlling that community. And, of course, dependency does exactly that. Now, you have, one would have to say at this point that uh, the times they are changing, at least to an extent, that a lot of the uh, members of the black community, especially uh, black males, are, 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 you know, get it now. And, and if you look at the agenda of Black Lives Matter, the agenda of Black Lives Matter is actually, if you look at it carefully, it's to keep the black community down, crime-ridden, and dependent. And that's what, they don't care about black lives. Black lives, I know it. black lives matter is about a Marxist revolution. And what, what, what are some of the famous comments by Marxists? Oh, faced with the enormity of Stalin's crimes and speech by Khrushchev, which became public in 1956. I mean, in 1953, but it became public in 1956. Well, says a, a, a nice little socialist from Great Britain, we always thought we had to sacrifice a generation. That's nice. Not him, but some other people. Another generation. Not his, not his generation that lives in nice living quarters. In this country, of course, dated communities, we always thought we had to sacrifice a generation. And how about the professor? And this was interesting. I just read about this a few days ago about the professor in a debate uh, was asked point blank by another professor who was a, uh, uh, in favor of the Republican form of government, uh, democracy, and in favor of uh, the market. And this Marxist professor, he asked him point blank, well, you know, are you willing to sacrifice 20 million people in order to achieve your goals? Goal being, of course, the ultimate socialist goal, which is communism. And, uh, and read Marx; you'll find out that's that's where it goes. And uh, and he said he was willing to sacrifice 20 million people if we could achieve our goal. The goal, of course, is utopianism. It's a utopian goal, which can never be achieved. Now we're going to see uh, because you can never reach utopia. You know. <laughs> Christians and Jews and, and Muslims, they all know that man is not perfectible. Man is not born good. Uh, the Christian ideas, original sin, or the fallen nature of man. And if you read the scriptures of the Old Testament, you don't find any perfect man. Not Abraham, not Isaac, none of them. Not Moses. Uh, they all have great flaws because people have great flaws. David, Solomon, name them all. And uh, so, so you would think that if you remember the chosen people, that uh, you would be perfect. And the Christian, of course, has one perfect man, and that's Jesus. Uh, but he's but he's really both man and God. So, so. In a sense, he, he's not the perfect man. He's a, he's a man in God. And of course, Islam has, does uh, posit that Muhammad was the perfect man. Uh, 
but uh, every, everyone else is, is certainly flawed. Everyone else is, has a fallen nature. Therefore, utopia cannot be achieved, not on this earth anyway. And, uh, and that's why the left is into one thing and one thing only, destruction in order to achieve power. So they are willing to destroy the black community and keep, keep it down, keep it dependent, because they can use the black community for chaos and encourage the looting, encourage rioting. Look how many of the Antifa people out there who are paid, who are well, uh, have cameras, have uh, uh, sophisticated uh, communication equipment, and uh, who's paying them? Break. We'll be right back after the break. I'm your host, Dr. Hal. Every week, we come to you with the information that you need so that you will be prepared to advocate for your family and for yourselves when it comes to your health care. God forbid we get Ossoff and Warnock in the Senate, and the left gets what they want, which is a majority in Congress and the White House. First of all, health care will be more expensive. There initially will be a public option. The government will run it. They will be initially very inexpensive, and it will drive commercial payers out of the health care market. Then the choices will disappear. The only insurer out there will be the federal government, and that's when we get a single payer. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hey guys, it's Minister Frankie with Shine His Light Ministries. It's getting cold outside and winter is coming. It's time to shine a little light on our friends on the street. We're collecting blankets and coats for the homeless all winter long. Please donate by going to our website at www.shinehislightministry.com or text 770-655. 8055. Hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving and a very Merry Christmas. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert Dagestino again with Do Facts Matter, and I suppose I'm being completely non-woke today in a big-time way. I kind of wonder if... Um, the uh, the current administration of Atlanta's John Marshall Law School would really appreciate having one of their professors completely unwoke uh, as the, the school drifts uh, administratively anyway uh, to the left and uh, they've been offering some interesting programs. Um, let me uh, just say if anyone's listening there from uh, John Marshall and the administration, the next time you have a uh, entering class next uh next uh, fall's entering class uh, and you have the uh, 
seminars for new students coming in, or you have these professionalism things. One of them I understand was about social justice. Uh, I'm going to uh, volunteer to participate in that particular uh, program uh, that uh, we'll find out uh, exactly what the students think about social justice or or the definition of social justice, what really is it. But anyway, let me get back to what I was talking about, and that is the use and abuse of the American citizens, American, black American citizens, in order to maintain or achieve and maintain power by the Democrats. It's all about power. That's what it's about. Um, and of course, now you have a essentially a Marxist takeover of the progressive movement. And Marxism, of course, is just a substitute for religion. I shouldn't say just. It is a substitute for religion and a very dangerous one because, like a lot of primitive religions, it, uh, it kind of ignores reality. Yes, yes, I'm saying progressivism is a primitive religion, right? They're very, they're basically primitive because they believe in things like, well, they have a sac. What's their sacrament? Infanticide. Well, there are lots of the primitive religions where infanticide was was the order of the day. They would the first child, born child, would be sacrificed to the gods, and uh, along those lines. And so the uh, uh, they. And certainly they would also get rid of all the uh, undesirables uh, children, the ones that were born with any sort of a defect. And uh, certainly that's the same philosophy of the progressives. I mean, look what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said. I've said it before. She said she, one of the reasons she supported abortion is it gets rid of members of a population we don't want more of. That's what she said. What population is she talking about? Maybe you ought to look up that interview. It was with the New York Times Magazine. Look, put in Ruth Bader Ginsburg, New York Times interview, a magazine interview, abortion, and you'll find out exactly what she said. Don't take my word for it. But she said it. Yes, abortion was, was one reason to support abortion, aside from getting rid of surplus population generally, was to... Get rid of members of a population we don't want more of. Look it up. Don't believe me. So anyway, so so we ha- so it's a primitive religion, progressivism. It has a uh, infanticide as, as their sacrament. They believe in magic. We've talked about that before. A boy can say say it's a, he's a girl, and he could die, and people could take him seriously, and he go compete against girls in in, in sports in high school and college. I mean, how can anybody take that seriously? The boy can say he's a girl, or a girl can say he's, uh, she's a boy, and and, and believe it. But we, but we de- it demands to believe it. It's just like or- George Orwell. You know, it, what? How many fingers? Four fingers? Five fingers? Go read uh, 1984. Read Brave New World. Read all those three. Uh, uh, Brave New World, and 1984. Uh, those two are really a. Uh, uh, Crucial, crucial books uh, to, to read, um, and you'll get the feel of what's going on right now. And you know, after, after all, George Orwell said something that the, the effect of there are some ideas so absurd that only an intellectual could believe them. And Lenin, what did Lenin say? Marxist Leninism uh, needed to be led by a intellectual vanguard. The intellectuals needed to make the decisions. 
And that's, of course, what the current Democratic Party says. Uh, what do they got? The Green New Deal is absurd. Green New Deal is absolutely absurd. Uh, command economy. Command economies have never worked. I mean, command from the center, whether, whether you call the command economy at socialism or communism, I mean, there's a, there's a, you go from corporatism, which is the Democratic parties really believe in corporatism, uh, and then you go from corporatism to socialism to communism. But corporatism, what is that? Corporatism means that decisions on the economic level are made by a co- combination of big business, big government, and big public unions, particularly public unions. Big unions, big business, and the big government, they sit down, they decide the future. They Look, the Obama administration was a corporatist administration. They promulgated regulations that, des- that destroyed small businesses. And, 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 and limited competition to benefit big businesses, and they picked winners and losers. The problem was most of the people they, companies they picked as winners went bankrupt. Look at all those green companies, not just Solyndra. There's a whole list of them that the government under Obama supported, subsidized, guaranteed investments of, and they went under. Look it up. I have a list maybe... Uh, I can ask David to post the uh, list on, on the website for uh, America's Web Radio, the list of all the companies, what happened. There's something like 30 of them. And they went bankrupt, became insolvent, sold out to the Chinese. They None of them succeeded. I mean, what about Fisker, the, uh, the, the, the car maker? Yeah, Al Gore's little baby. And he didn't lose a penny because the government uh, uh, guaranteed the investors. And the investors, of course, were, were Democrats. They gave big money, campaign contributions, and they got their uh, and they got their uh, quid pro quo, which was uh, guaranteeing uh, their investment. So you know, they made investments with no risk. Uh, it's not how the market works. That's corporatism. So the Democratic Party is a corporatist party. Um, and that's not so unusual. I mean, uh, France is essentially corporatist, although they allow small businesses to uh, flourish, but really small businesses, you know, local grocery stores, uh, uh, local small shops, that sort of thing, are allowed to, to continue on. But, of course, if you look at uh, Lenin and you look at the Marx, uh, one of the great enemies of the utopia is trade. What does trade mean? It means people making their own contracts making their own deals, buying and selling. Petty bourgeois, the entrepreneurs, and they have to be destroyed. That's part of the, the whole uh, idea. And that certainly, uh, progressives of policies they follow will certainly have that effect. The Obama administration had that effect. The big small businesses went out of business and re- and way in excess of small businesses, starting businesses. That was reversed under Trump. It'll be reversed again under Biden. It will go back to limiting competition. <laughs> I mean, and in order to keep this power, though, in order to keep this power, it's important for the Democrat Party to keep people convinced that they're victims, that they're victims of some evil Trump, some evil white heterosexual males. They're victims, and and they'd be protected by the Democrats. And that's the entire uh, situation. And uh, uh, it's you know, and, and so so what's happening now? Uh, well, we 
doing that. Time for a we break. Are, we are in a situation where 19% of black males voted for Trump. That's almost one in five. And I bet it is more than that. But anyway, uh, I, I bet they undercount the rural blacks uh, who are successful, small-town blacks, who voted for Trump. But let's say it's 19%. Now, now, women, of course, it was a lot less. The, the various uh, polls show maybe 8% of black women at the most voted for, for Trump. But 19% of black males, that is significant. That shows movement. And once somebody starts, once a group starts to move, they start to move on the top of the ticket. I remember my father, who was an immigrant from Italy, and, of course, he was met by, you know, at the, at the boat at Tammany Hall, and he was a loyal Democrat. And, he, and New York, of course, in those days, the, the, uh, were, the Democrats were, were socially conservative, uh, you know, kind of labor Democrats, uh, economically liberal, socially conservative. And the first Republican he ever voted for in his life was in 1952. He voted for Eisenhower. Right. That was the first one. After that, he started to vote Republican more and more often down ballot. But in 52, he voted for Eisenhower, and then all Democrats down ballot. And that's what the Democrats have to fear right now, that they're losing a monopoly of the black vote. What if 25% of the blacks decide to vote Republican? And, and, and the strength in the Hispanic community, you know, it, with the strength that Trump showed in the Hispanic community and the, and the black community, he obviously won the election. And if, and if it weren't for the fact of phony ballots, mail-in ballots, people filling out multiple ballots, 23,000 ballots from one area coming in that only had Biden's no down ballot votes. This is these these are phony. Uh, accepting ballots late, uh, backdating the, uh, the the arrival time of the ballots so that they would not violate state law. All this occurred, and all this occurred, and I and I believe, and I think that certainly Sidney Powell believes this was a concerted effort, uh, and, and coordinated concerted effort. But I, unlike Sidney Powell, I, I, I she's great. She's a terrific attorney. Rudy Giuliani, and I, and I knew Rudy Giuliani when I worked in the Reagan Justice Department, and a brilliant lawyer, and uh, uh, really a, a patriot, and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a policy wonk, and I would be very surprised if he said anything that he didn't believe. I mean, really and truly believe, but unfortunately, and I really and truly believe that we can't prove it, that we cannot prove that the election was stolen. And I hope I'm wrong. And, uh, I mean, I just still am absolutely surprised about what happened in Georgia, that Georgia could have gone for Biden. I just, in fact, I'm surprised anybody could have voted for Biden, but they didn't vote for Biden. They voted against Trump. This was an election Trump and anti-Trump. So they either were for Trump or against Trump. I mean, who, who cares? No one could possibly, or not many could possibly be for Biden. I mean, this guy is, I mean, I was in Delaware when he was the senator. Everybody knew he was corrupt. Everybody knew he was the, the senator from Bloomington Trust. His son was on the board of Bloomington Trust, and he delivered whatever the banks wanted, Bloomington Trust wanted. They could deliver Biden. And uh, serial liar, I mean, he, he couldn't, he, one lie after another, uh, 
had limited intelligence compared to others. He was a joke in the U.S. Senate. When he got up to speak in the U.S. Senate, his fellow senators would walk out because they couldn't take it. He would drone on in nothingness. And he's now president. And he's, and he's president at a time when, when what limited facilities he, or mental facilities he had are now in decline. Obviously, cognitive decline, it just amazes me. No, there's no way he could have won an election. Uh, I guess maybe the mainstream media covered up from it up. Maybe, maybe people didn't really realize how bad he was. But in any case, let's get back to this thing. What are the Democrats going to do about losing blacks or about the potential to lose some of the black vote? Well, there's two things they can do. They can take the Senate and, and make the black vote irrelevant because they will probably put 10 or 11 million illegals on the road to citizenship, and they, of course, will be all Democrat voters. You know, as, as a, the Harvard uh, study of 2008, there's a Harvard study of uh, voting by ineligible voters, and they concluded that 5.7 million uh, people that registered to vote were not eligible to vote. They're either here illegally or they weren't citizens, uh, you know, if they were here illegally, that's where Trump got to his number of 5.7. However, the, they didn't say that 5.7 million voted. The, the Harvard study concluded about 600,000 of those uh, ineligible voters actually voted, 80-some-odd percent for the Democrats. Um, so this idea there's no vote for it is, is nuts. I mean, it's, New York Times is just plain lying when they, when they print an article that says that. Because they have there's a very comprehensive study in 2008, and they concluded at least 600,000 illegal votes. There's also a study in 2018, a more recent study that again was Stanford University in California. There's also a Harvard professor involved and a Microsoft statistician involved, and they were talking about double voting and other methods of fraudulent voting, but it's mostly concentrated on, on double voting those who voted in more than one place uh, for the, of the same election. And so you look it up. You know, 2018 is, is, this, is this one. So the idea that there's, that there's not no, no fraud uh, is, is nonsense. There's plenty of fraud. The, only, that's, the question is, what happens? So now you Democrats are faced with what? With the possibility of losing some of the black vote. So they've got to increase the fraudulent vote. But even better, if they can take over the Senate, they let in... They, they make 10, 11 million illegals, make them citizens, and pack the Supreme Court, and lo and behold, they don't need the black lawyer anymore. So what's going to happen to the, to, I mean, they still need it. And they don't care, because what they want is a, a revolution. And if they'll get the revolution, the Marx, it's a Marxist revolution, it's a left-wing revolution, it's, it's utopian revolution, but the left only is into destruction. Saul Alinsky, when he gave a little talk, and Hillary Clinton was at this talk, he asked the audience at one point, what, 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 what is your goal? And they start talking about you know, social justice, uh, redistribution of wealth, and all that wonderful things that makes people feel good, right? And who advocate that stuff. You know, a little virtue signaling there. And he, and he just yelled at them and said, no, 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 your goal is power. Once we get power, we'll decide what to do with it. Their goal is power. And so the left goal is power, and then they get power, they decide how to create the utopia. That means how many people they got to kill, they don't care. They just kill them. Uh, 
Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, uh, people starving in the streets in Venezuela right now. What do they care? Uh, uh, Cuba, how many people died uh, after Castro took over and died in their, his prisons? At least 20,000, according to some estimates. So anyway, uh, but you can never achieve the utopia. So it's always destruction. Whatever you have must be destroyed. The next step, the next step, the next step. Danton, when leaders of the French Revolution, what happened to Danton? They chopped his head off. Well, because he wasn't, we didn't, the utopia wasn't, wasn't being formed. And Dan Todd was talking about maybe, you know, we ought to be, go a little light on some of these uh, people and uh, understand. Uh, and so he had kind of, even though he was brutal in the beginning, he was kind of mellowing, so they chopped his head off. And, of course, in, in destruction after destruction, and eventually Robespierre got his comeuppance, too. They chopped his head off. And then we end up with someone restoring order, Napoleon. All of this was predicted by Edmund Burke. He predicted the rise of a strong man. So let's go back to this country. If the Democrats have their way and take the Senate and therefore start to dismantle the company in, in country in, in the, in the, as they pursue or supposedly pursue uh, this utopia, of course they pursue power, but in their justification is utopia and uh, and so they follow this Marxist religion, which has taken over the Progressive Party, sacraments, magic, precepts, like things like that are not true, like the police target for, for, for murder young blacks, which is totally not true. Um, and that uh, if you defund the police, you're going to get uh, more peaceful neighborhoods. That's not true. 84% of the residents, black residents of the inner city, want more police or the same amount of, number of policemen. They don't want less. They know what they're facing. And w group that's uh, buying guns in record numbers, black women. Well, someone's got to protect them. The police won't. They can't. Because if they do try to do anything to, to reduce crime, they lose their jobs. They get pilloried. They even get arrested uh, uh, for excessive force. Uh, so... Why, why would they do anything to to uh, to risk their future? They have children, they have wives, or they have husbands, and uh, they they, they got to worry about their their own futures if they enforce law. Look what happened to that um, the ch chief of police in Portsmouth, from uh, Virginia. She, that's right, it was a she, chief of police. She not only was she a she, she was a black she, and she uh, was uh, very well educated. Uh, 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 very professional, and she got fired. Why did she get fired? Because she allowed her detectives to arrest 14 felons who had committed vandalism and destruction of public property that could be identified and, during a riot, uh, and a uh, good many of them, of course, uh, uh, the vandals tend to be white anyway, uh, and, uh, and, and she was fired for allowing their and what did Terry McAuliffe, the former governor of Virginia, Democrat, said, oh, this is wrong to arrest these people. They broke the law. They're on films vandalizing public property, toppling statutes, you know, writing graffiti all over the place. So she is fired for enforcing the law. Well, that's a message to the police, isn't it? That's a real message to the police. So anyway, we, we're back to where we are. 
what are the Democrats going to do about this drift? Perhaps this drift is only towards Trump and not towards the Republicans, but towards Trump first, just like it was towards Eisenhower first, then it became towards the Republicans for the Italian-American community. And uh, so now what? Well, we have to convince blacks that they are victims, that their main identity is not Americans, but being black. Now we have this little movement that the word black, B-L-A-K-E, B should be capitalized. W and white, not capitalized, but the B. Now that's symbolic, and I saw an interesting, uh, uh, I think it was Jason Whitlock, uh, talked about that, and he was on uh, one of the shows, I don't know if it was, uh, it was probably Tucker Carlson, talking about the symbolism of that, the separateness, keeping the black community separate and unified, unified behind what? The Democrats. Why? To maintain maintenance of power. That's what it's all about. I... Uh, I know this was kind of rough, and I, I, I suppose there'll be some repercussions, perhaps, at the school, but I don't think so. We have a lot of uh, minority students at John Marshall Law School. You really, the school is very welcoming of minorities. It has been in the past. Now that we have a woke administration, maybe it won't be as welcoming, you know, because they demand a little more orthodoxy of thought. Uh, and maybe that'll start at John Marshall. I hope not. All right, um, uh, David, I think that's the end of the show. So thank you for listening. That's it. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.